You're listening to Fake Believe, the podcast that gets some things right about conspiracies, cults, and cryptids. Hi, welcome to Fake Believe. I'm Stacy, and I have this theory that if you cut all my hair off, I'll look exactly like a British man. And I'm Rachel, and one time in middle school, a ladybug flew so hard into my overly hairsprayed bangs that it died. I'm <laughs> sad. I wasn't expecting that turn. I know. It was a twist. It's a tragedy. <laughs> well, we're all about twists here, so that's good. Yes. Well, today we're going to be talking about two different cryptids. I'm going to talk about El Chupacabra, and what are you going to talk about today? I'm talking about Jake the Alligator Man, which maybe not everybody has heard of him, but trust me, he's special. I honestly can't wait. This is going to be a good It's so time. good. I know. And El Chupacabra, come on, he's classic. Seriously, I mean, like, he's as old as I am. <laughs> <laughs> he is. I know. You two were discovered in the same year. Isn't that funny how that works out? Are you sure you are not El Chupacabra? Yeah. I want to go on record here that I have never sucked a goat in my life. So, uh, little known fact, in ninth grade, I did an entire report on El Chupacabra. So I feel like I'm the resident expert, and I feel like I, I have a lot to say. You are definitely the resident expert in this residence, for That's sure. That's very true. Yes, between yes. the two of us. All I have to say is livestock beware. El Chupacabra is on the loose. You hear that livestock? Better get a move on. <laughs> He's gonna be bad for you. <laughs> so let's first talk about what even is El Chupacabra. And I, I could be saying it with more of a Hispanic accent, but I won't because I'm very white. We're just gonna leave it at Chupacabra. <laughs> okay. Sounds fair. So the term El Chupacabra was actually coined by a comedian named Silverio. Perez. Again, She's very I'm white. White. <laughs> yes. And I, I took French in high school. So I can say Sierra de Porta means which means shut the door in Spanish because my mom would say that. <laughs> and pones y zapatos. But I never learned how to say Silverio Perez. <laughs> she said that with a French R. Did you hear that, ladies and gentlemen? Oh Perez. <laughs> I apologize in advance, but this is really the only time you're really gonna hear. Any kind of Hispanic last names or, or, you know, vocabulary. I mean, I guess unless you're talking about El Chupacabra, which is goat sucker. The first attack that was attributed to El Chupacabra was a bunch of goats. And so they appeared to have all the blood drained from them. So it was almost like a vampire in a way. And this comedian was talk talking about it in called him El Chupacabra, and it stuck. People in the media and in the news and everyone everyone just just really liked that term, El Chupacabra. So they, they stuck with it. Okay, so despite the name of goat sucker, Chupacabras actually eat more than just goats. Chickens, rabbits, and other livestock are among the Chupacabra's favorite meals. However, it's not the meat that's on the menu. It's the blood. Gross. Ah! I know. So, uh, you know a chupacabra has attacked when a victim has two perfectly circular puncture wounds in its neck and is completely drained of blood. And some animals, kind of gross, uh, just a little warning, some animals 
have had their liver and reproductive organs removed. Well, yeah, because it seems like while the chupacabra is probably focused on blood, he can't just eat blood to survive. It seems like he'd need something with a little more substance. Sure. And I'll kind of get into that a little bit more as as we move on. Um, while the attacks of the Chupacabra are, for the most part, widely agreed upon, the features of El Chupacabra are not. So here is where I'm going to start talking about two different versions of the Chupacabra. There are so many stories, but depending on who you ask, you're going to run into different explanations, different reasonings, and, and, and just different stories in general. It's, it's a total cultural phenomenon based on where you go. And instead of talking about the original Chupacabra, which showed up in Puerto Rico, I first want to talk about the Chupacabra as known by Texans. When we're talking about the Texan Chupacabra, this creature mostly resembles a hairless dog. At first glance, it might not seem that scary because we've we've seen hairless dogs before. I mean, there are hairless dogs, but as I get into describing a little bit more about the behavior of the chupacabra and even a, a few more details about his appearance, it might creep you out a little bit. After Phyllis Canyon discovered multiple animals on her property had two puncture wounds on their necks and they were without blood, but not eaten, she became a little bit suspicious. Canyon was puzzled by this scene because most of the time, predators would take their prey away to eat, or at least eat them, (laughs) not just drain them of their blood. So they either have them for takeout, or they eat in, but they clean the plate. Exactly. I I mean, just seeing murdered livestock is not really commonplace anywhere. If a wild animal is going to go through the trouble of eating livestock, they're gonna eat it. Unless, of course, they're all chupacabra. From time to time, Canyon would see a strange animal running across her vast farmland. And when I say vast, I mean vast. Like, she would take this golf cart around. I was watching videos, and she's just driving around in it. And I'm like, of course there's a chupacabra on your land. You, (laughs) You own most of Texas. According to Canyon, some of her neighbors suggested that the bizarre beast she was dealing with was actually a chupacabra. That's the first thing I would say. I know. (laughs) (laughs) One day, a fellow farmer called Canyon to tell her that someone had hit the creature she had described. And it was just laying on the side. Oh, hit with a car. I was like, like he punched him? I see. Yes. He hit him with a vehicular mitt. (laughs) Chupacabra slaughter. (laughs) It's dead. It's on the side of the road. So Canyon rushed to the scene and obtained and preserved the remains. And that's important. She put it in the freezer. She knew what she was doing. She was a hunter. So she saved that thing. Your great-grandfather did that once with a possum. He kept it in the freezer for us to look at. I've heard the stories and how, like, they kept the ice cream next to it. Yeah. Well, (laughs) Nobody wanted to eat the ice cream. That's a lie. We all eat the ice cream. Nobody (laughs) wanted to, but they did. So she put this dead beast in the freezer, and finally the chupacabra had been caught. Or at least this one chupacabra had been caught. After many more reports on seeing similar creatures to the critter in Canyon's freezer, <laughs> this sighting became famous nationwide. News crews and documentarians flocked to Canyon's farm to learn more about the chupacabra. 
And the descriptions given by Canyon are confirmed with her taxidermy beast that she keeps in the house. So she taxidermied him or her, the chupacabra? She taxidermied an animal to look like it. She Okay, so she had remains in her freezer and she had the taxidermied beast, if that makes sense. Okay, I don't know what this says about her credibility. <laughs> so it could just be that this was a replica. Um, I didn't quite understand at that point. With, because it also kind of sounded like she was describing like how she saw it. Okay, I'm like they made something to look like. But why not just taxidermy the actual? Well, I'll tell you, chupacabra. Because okay. she ended up using that to do testing oh. on it. So instead of just taxiderming it and taking out all the good stuff, she left it all intact so that people were able to to analyze it and to really look into this thing and discover what it was. I'm going to kind of go ahead and describe it based on the taxidermy animal and kind of what was in the freezer, but (laughs) there was this segment where she was going over one end to the other of this taxidermied animal, the chupacabra. Okay. As illustrated by Canyon, the beast has piercing blue eyes, which, side note, that's very jarring to me because, like, it's rare that you see animals with blue eyes like that. Well, those cats have blue eyes. Which cats? Like the cats with the blue eyes. Oh, good one. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know, like, I've seen huskies with blue eyes and things like that, too, but mm-hmm. um, based on, you know, what what people are thinking that it might be, a lot of canines, they don't tend to have blue eyes. And when I say piercing blue eyes, I mean, like, very blue. Like, it's it's like almost like a cloudy blue, where it's just, like, you you cannot mistake it for anything else. Um, Do so raccoons ever have blue eyes? I don't think so. Along with the piercing blue eyes, it has shorter front legs than it does the back, too. So it's kind of, like, hunched over a little bit more. And then there are four canine teeth. So there's two on the top and there's two on the bottom. These are very long and it's unusually long. No other canines tend to have this long of teeth. And in this particular frozen chupacabra that Canyon has, along with others that people have killed on site in Texas and that have shown to these news crews and to um, other documentarians, they all have the same four teeth. So they're canines and then their, their bottom teeth were um, like the opposite, I guess, of the canines. I'm not a dentist. I don't Weren't there only two puncture wounds in these animals' yes. necks? So wouldn't that make four if they have the four of these long teeth? Yes. So kind of what they're thinking is, especially since they go after chickens or rabbits or like, you know, really small animals, they would kind of rest in the bottom teeth. And they puncture them with the top two. So they're they're okay. like holding them in their jaws and keeping them where they're supposed to be. And then oh, like kind of balancing it and then oh yes. smart. Okay. So for those perfect circular puncture wounds, because they're keeping them in like clenched in their jaws without actually hurting any other parts of it, they're just getting the blood. They're just right into the right into that neck. And the neck bleeds profusely whether you're talking about humans or animals i mean there's a lot of there is a lot of blood with necks yes Mm -hmm. so it's very easy to get blood from there another reason why they kind of think that el chipacabra drinks blood as opposed to 
eating the meat is because they have those big teeth. So they can't necessarily chomp down on things. It's, it's harder for them to, to chew. So they have to drink the blood. They have, that's how they're going to get their sustenance is by draining the blood of these other animals, which is why you would find livestock without blood, but still intact with meat. So, okay, so they got weird teeth. They can't close their mouths all the way. That's basically what I'm getting at. They also have nodules in their hind legs, which, again, is is a weird attribute to a canine to have kind of you know, the, those nodules. So it's like on, on their upper hips, like above the glutes, I guess. They have these little, like, protruding bones almost. Okay, because people and sometimes will say El Chupacabra is just a, a hairless dog. But the woman mm-hmm. is saying, like, no, look at, like, they have these weird bottom fangs as well yes. as these nodules above their butts. Right. <laughs> On their hips. <laughs> On their um, hips. Yes. <laughs> On their dog hips. And then they have dark, leathery skin. And then here's the kicker. And I'm sorry for how many times I'm going to say this word, but two nipples. <laughs> uh, okay. You can laugh. It's fine. Okay, nipples. <laughs> The only reason why I'm mentioning the nipples is because most canines, <laughs> like dogs, wolves, and coyotes, <laughs> have anywhere from 8 to 12 nipples. And mammals tend to have twice as many nipples as they do offspring. So, like, when you think about dogs, they have about 5 to 6 puppies per litter. And because they usually have around you know, 8 to 12 nipples. And then humans... Typically, for each pregnancy, there's one baby. Like, yes, I know there are anomalies with twins and triplets and everything, but usually there's one baby and two nipples. <laughs> That's crazy. I never did that math. I, I, I never did nipple math. <laughs> but, again, the reason why this is so important, because if you're saying that it's a canine, then why does it only have two nipples? What kind of species are we dealing with? If either the nipples are not useful in, in reproduction or for feeding offspring, but they're, they're not like any other canines, you know, it, it's nothing that we've seen before. What I'm saying is that this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> My dog had nine nipples. He yeah, had that's like not a, weird. He had like an extra, like an odd number nipple. I mean, every, every body is different. I mean, you know, nine is one thing instead of the eight. But two? Either way, we should just all love our bodies, including you, El Chupacabra. Including El Chupacabra. (laughs) Of course. We love El Chupacabra. We're just saying that you're not... A dog. Yeah, you're not what we thought you were. (laughs) (laughs) So, for this animal to be classified as a canine, this is a a highly unusual feature. This is something that's not really heard of. So, that's why I brought up that point. Not because I'm a weirdo. Just throwing that out there. Not just because you're a weirdo, but also No, because... I'm a weirdo for so many other things. Right. But... but not for a nipple obsession. Right. It was, like, really uncomfortable for me to have to Google, like, how many nipples does a coyote have? <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. It was, it was a weird time. But it's for science. I'm getting to the bottom of this. Yes. So, as I mentioned before, the media had caught wind of Canyon's story and was picked up by networks like the History Channel and Shiver both of which had conducted DNA tests on the creature Canyon kept in her freezer. So in both shows, you would see that the critter in question 
was actually a, a breed of animal that had not seemed to exist before. Oh, a newbie. However, it did come from two known species. Which two? The mom was a coyote. From mitochondrial DNA is how they were able to figure that out. The mom was a coyote, and the dad was a Mexican wolf. That's two dogs. There's two canines. So once again, it is very weird that their offspring ended up not exhibiting all of the traits of a canine or of these species. But yes, it is two canines that um, that had come together. Because they loved each other very much. Yes. <laughs> and when you love each other <laughs> You make an El Chupacabra. So in a way, one could argue that the Chupacabra is 100% real. So you can say, oh, yeah, this 100% exists. A chupacabra is the the name that we call a coyote Mexican wolf. Right. Okay. Like, that that could be what's happening. Like, it's it still has strange behavior. So that being said, it's still strange that the animal didn't have an ounce of fur on it, despite descending from two animals with fur coats. Well, and only two nipples. Yes, the two nipples thing really threw me. Uh, okay, and so so some speculate the animal had mange, which is a mite that infects canines and makes them so itchy that they scratch out all their fur and they damage their own skin. But the results of whether or not they had mange were inconclusive. You know, part of this could be because it was in the freezer and, you know, it wasn't good. Part of it could be because... It's some weird anomaly of science. We don't weird, understand. I vote weird anomaly of science. I would too. And then others have said perhaps this animal never had any fur, but that also is not confirmed. It did appear that at one time this animal did have fur and no longer had fur. There are some breeds of dogs, like I mentioned earlier, that, that are born without fur, but this was not one of them. It had fur at one point, no longer had any fur. So it's, again strange, strange coincidences. And there's still a lot of mystery surrounding the legend of the Texan Chupacabra, but none are quite as alarming as the Chupacabra that dwells or dwelled in Puerto Rico. Ah, now this is where he was first discovered, correct? Correct. What can I say? The original is almost always the best. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's why I'm always like Buffy and Angel, not Buffy and Spike. Exactly. You don't know that reference? I know the reference. I just have never <laughs> experienced it to, to really feel the same way you do. Okay. <laughs> All right. OG Chubacabra, tell us about him or her. I, I kind of just say it. You know, I don't yeah. want to assume. So whereas the Texan Chupacabra has reasonable explanations, the Puerto Rican Chupacabra is something out of this world. Uh, uh, like like maybe literally okay tell me the beast showed up around 1995 causing panic across puerto rico vastly different from its counterpart in texas the puerto rican chupacabra is described as a bipedal creature meaning walks on two legs that's about three to four feet tall with a large head that holds its glowing red eyes with a leathery gray or green skin and of course Spikes protruding from its head to its back. <laughs> oh, gosh. So we got spikes. We got glowy eyes. So how tall did you say this guy was? Three to four feet. That's not that bad. It's not. I mean, it's shorter than me. 
Um, but when <laughs> you're talking about some weird species with like claw, it, it's the spikes that get me. Yes. Yeah. And the glowing red eyes. I mean, that's ungodly. <laughs> but do they glow? Because, you know, some animals' eyes glow in the dark, like if they hit light or whatever. So you can make any argument that you want. Because true. they haven't actually caught this version of the chupacabra. Okay. Or at least no civilian has caught this version of the chupacabra. Oh. So we can't always know for sure about what this chupacabra is or was or has come to be. The popularity of the monster was fostered on the internet and by the Puerto Rican mayor's interest in catching the beast. Wait a minute. What year was this? 1995. Yes. The, the internet was barely the internet in 1995. That's true. Yes. But that was the first sighting. So. I, oh, I see. Okay. The popularity of the beast grew as the internet did. So this was, you know, it was an original type of, of beast. And it was almost like the first creepypasta. Um, it, it, it also... Not to go off on that much of a tangent, but when Blair Witch Project came out, they did a lot of marketing online where, you know, mm-hmm. they would make it seem like there were diary entries from those, those, the kids that were there and everything. And they really leaned into this idea that they were real people who actually went missing. Yeah. So because of that, the found footage thing seemed to be more credible. In a sense, mm-hmm. you know, and especially like in my lifetime, I mean, I've talked to other people about El Chupacabra and they at least know what I'm talking about when I say the Chupacabra, El Chupacabra, anything like that. You don't all have to do a speech <laughs> where you research it or have a podcast where you decide to talk about it to know essentially what it is. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I also mentioned the Puerto Rican mayor was interested in catching right. it. So, yes. uh, you, th- this, this legend really seemed to, to foster for a generation. So again, my generation, since we were all born around that time, you know, we grew up hearing people talk about it because it was, you know, a cultural phenomenon. And then obviously as you get older, you know, you're not scared of it. You don't really think of it. And it's not, you know, a big legend, especially for me growing up in Missouri. Wasn't so big here. Midwest is a lot different than the South. Even though there have been reports of the Chupacabra being sighted as far north as Maine. That's far north. That's very far north. Yeah, northeast. (laughs) (laughs) The, The folklore grew to be a cultural phenomenon before making its way to the mainland of the United States. And by that, I mean Texas. (laughs) But was this creature even real? Of course. There are those who claim that the beast is simply some diseased monkey. A monkey? Yes. There was this invasive species um, of monkeys that were brought to Puerto Rico to be experimented on. And some of them got loose. And then they ended up breeding. And so now this monkey has been introduced to the wildlife of Puerto Rico, even though it is an invasive species. So some kind of claim the same thing as, you know, a dog or a coyote being, you know, mangy and everything. This monkey is mangy and that's what's sure. But I'm sorry, didn't you say something about 
spikes growing out of its head and neck. Like, I've never seen, like, a spiked monkey. Neither have I. So I don't really buy this one. <laughs> Debunked. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Not a monkey. Next. Others think it's a genetically modified vampire bat that's taking the whole vampire aspect quite literally. And, I, I mean, it's not like um, Mothman, which... I'm totally going to get to at some point, where people have actually seen it fly. So mm-hmm. some people have mistaken it for, you know, birds or bats or anything like that, too. The chupacabra has never been described as a flying creature. No, never. And I'm sure that if a bat was confronted with a human, as <laughs> there have been many reports of that, it would fly away. Because it would know that a flight is, like, fast. <laughs> Again, if it was genetically modified, and this is what, you know, it, kind of the same way of that hybrid coyote-Mexican-wolf thing. If this is just what we know is the chupacabra is really just a giant vampire bat, maybe it doesn't fly? I don't know. What I'm saying, though, is that doesn't fly with me. Nice. You batted that one out of the park. Thank you. Good one. I know sports. Okay. I just have to say, though, the answer could be explained with just one simple word. Nipples. Aliens. All right. Okay. Aliens is better than nipples. It is better than nipples because nipples, is that doesn't explain too much. No, but it's but nipples is more fun to say than aliens. We are, we are on track. This is going great. <laughs> Okay, aliens. All right, aliens. go. Yes, spiny aliens. aliens. It's plain to see that this chupacabra is not exhibiting behavior that is normal to our planet. We don't typically see animals that only bite the necks of their prey and drink their blood. Even the description of this beast resembles that of certain alien sightings. Like, have you heard of the greys? No. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yeah, the greys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're around the same height. They're also, you know, kind of got that grayish skin, giant heads, giant eyes, and everything. Oh my they god, have- you just described me. <laughs> it's it's because of quarantine, my like graying skin and like I just looked I looked uh, at my video feed when you were saying that and I was like, my forehead looks big, my skin looks gray. I have giant beautiful eyes. No, you don't look at all like a chupacabra. I promise. Or an alien. Oh, okay. Thank you. Okay. Sorry to interrupt with my narcissism. Go ahead. You look too much like me. I can't ever. That's true. You You can never say anything negative about my appearance. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, like with the grays and everything like that, it does kind of ring true to that same thing. So, I mean it's it's possible that people are all saying this seeing the same thing and they happen to see this particular alien around when livestock had been bitten and left for dead i mean this is really sound sound incredible to me right another telling piece of evidence that this creature is extraterrestrial is that many people have reported the smell of sulfur when the chupacabra is near That substance is found when celestial debris, like comets and asteroids, impact with the Earth. Could it be possible that the being we know of today as the Chupacabra was an alien that crash-landed on our planet, terrorizing the people of Puerto Rico? 
Yes, that so far for me is most plausible. Me too. I mean, if you if you think about like the Texan shape of copper, like yeah, maybe you can explain it away with dogs. You know, yeah, yeah, like a mangy dog, <laughs> two or nipple dogs. But this one is gotta be an alien. Oh my <laughs> gosh! Like it's it's right in front of you. It's not even a question. We have no animals that look like this. This is weird, and it smells like sulfur, which smells like space. Oh my gosh, we should ask Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> I'll text him. Okay, thank you. I mean, again, this this seems like the only logical explanation that the chupacabra is an alien. It could also explain why the sightings of the Puerto Rican chupacabra have gone down lately. The alien either couldn't survive on this planet, was taken by the government, or was beamed back up to its spaceship or whatever. I mean, truthfully... This is a hostile planet for any extraterrestrial. And many terrestrials as well. <laughs> I mean, if, if some poor creature was just like, oops, <laughs> I caught right on a comet. I, f- I found myself on this planet. Mm, this goat looks tasty. And then everyone was like, <laughs> we have to kill this thing. He'd be like, see ya, I'm out. Yeah, it's very possible that, you know, you don't really see this anymore because it was a one-off type of thing. Mm-hmm. It could have just been that... And this was, you know, kind of like an E.T. type of situation where it was the only one of its kind that was here. And we were mean to it. And we we got rid of El Chupacabra. Okay, we really need to take a look at ourselves and say, why were we mean to El Chupacabra? I would like to think, I mean, I know as a baby at the time, but I would like to think that I would have been nice to El Chupacabra. I bet you would have. I would have been really scared, but I, I would have just not wanted to kill an alien it'd be like wait a minute it's only eating livestock we eat livestock right let's hear them out also it's only three to four feet tall i'm taller than this thing i could but you you weren't when you were a baby okay listen (laughs) i'm saying if i were to encounter one today (laughs) at my current height so somebody would like to take this take it a step further back and blame the U.S. government for experimenting on terrestrial and extraterrestrial beings. Perhaps the incident at Roswell, New Mexico, which you will hear about in a future episode coming soon, put pressure on the U.S. government to relocate the aliens that were in hiding to somewhere else. Like Puerto Rico, which is an American territory. Some people say, like, El Chupacabra was... Either like a mixture of different animals that we know of, kind of like the Texan chupacabra, or there was some kind of extraterrestrial, like in the 1950s, and then they were they were breeding it with something, or they were they were using um, the DNA to 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 change the DNA sequence and to create an entirely new creature and then perhaps this this creature changed it and it got so self-aware that it broke free and caused chaos amongst the wildlife you know this would make sense because i do remember in the 90s too that um the human genome project was really breaking ground wasn't it in 1995 when dolly the sheep was cloned Oh, right. I forgot about Dolly. Uh But, I mean, it's, you know, they were, there was evidence that they were already starting to mess with the laws of nature. I mean, clones weren't a thing until 1995, but when I was born, so. (laughs) 
How weird. How hmm, how strange. That's weird. So, you know, it, 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 they were already, the, the U.S. government especially, too, they were already messing with, with things. And it's possible that they were messing with something that, that got out, that got loose. And so that's another reason why we never know for sure exactly what this creature looked like, what it could have been, or, or anything like that, because this, the body of this creature was never recovered by a civilian. So it could have been recovered by the U.S. government that kept it all hush-hush and nobody had to know about it. But unlike the Texan chupacabra, which was, which could have been something a little bit more innocent, like a mangy, you know, crossbreed, there was no reason to, to hide that. So we don't really hear about El Chupacabra in Puerto Rico anymore, especially something that looks like that. And again, it's very possible that the U.S. government tried and succeeded in keeping this alien a secret. Nice. So whether or not you're on board with the idea of an alien or a crossbreed hybrid, there's a lot to say about, the, about what Chupacabra had done for modern cryptozoologists. Those are people who study animals that are not known to biology are not known to many zoologists <laughs> or really anybody <laughs> or entomologists probably yeah all of them <laughs> so is is this something that will soon be known in biology or is this something that nasa will have to come clean about in the future those are our choices right pretty much regardless yeah. of its origins or even its future the legend of el chupacabra is one that is ingrained in most of our memories today. And that's the story of El Chupacabra. Ah, nice. Oh, <laughs> El Chupacabra. So was there ever any um, legends about him, like, eating people? Or was he pretty much just not a people eater? You know, uh, humans are not nocturnal. Chupacabra, however, is nocturnal. So it runs around at night and that's where it might kind of creep into the hen house or, you know, any, mm -hmm. anything like that where our doors are locked and we better shelter ourselves than we do our animals and our livestock. Mm -hmm. It's harder for a little three foot guy to, to make its way into our shelters. And also it's not really trying to come after us as far as I have seen, there have not really been any reports on El Chupacabra attacking a human. There have been reports on sightings. There have been reports of people getting really close to one, but being so scared they run away <laughs> and they're gone. That's that's just kind of where we are with that. Hmm. There was the really quick... I didn't really find a good way to fit this in, into my actual story, but one thing I just kind of wanted to to enlighten you upon is in one mm -hmm. of the episodes that I was watching, they ended up um, doing an experiment on Canyon's um, farm. And so they were like doing a hunt. They set traps for it and everything. They, um, they had like coyote urine and they were spraying it around everywhere. Cause they're like, you know, mm -hmm. this coyote is definitely going to come up here. And wouldn't you know it? A lot of the cameras weren't working. Oh, coincidence. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, there was one in particular where they had put coyote urine on this post. And when they checked on it the next morning, that post was scratched up. And <gasps> scratch marks were around three to four feet. Oh. Yeah. It was El Chupacabra. It was El Chupacabra. Yeah, there's a lot of good stories about El Chupacabra. 
Um, there haven't, there aren't really any modern retellings of it. You, you might see them pop up a couple of times in pop culture, mm-hmm. but um, for the most part, that's it. Awesome. Well, hey, great job. I love learning more about El Chupacabra. Um, I'm going to tell you about a less well-known cryptid, although near and dear to many people's hearts. Uh, he has not made the national stage the way El Chupacabra has, maybe because there's only one of him. But he's Jake the Alligator Man. <laughs> have you heard of him? Have you heard of Jake? No, I have not. <laughs> Unless it's Jake from State Farm. Perhaps. Maybe. I mean, he's got quite the storied history, so maybe he did do a jaunt at State Farm. He's special to me for a couple reasons. First, because he's the first time that I ever came up against a cryptid. So, wait, wait. Are you telling me that you have seen Jake the Alligator Man? I have seen Jake the Alligator Man. But before I physically saw him, he's the first time I even realized that there were such a thing as cryptids. Okay. Okay. Because in 1993, which was before you came into existence, the Weekly World News ran a picture of him. So Weekly World News is like a tabloid kind of thing. I don't know if you know. It's print media. So I'm not sure if you're familiar. (laughs) They ran a picture of him and I was 14 at the time. And I remember looking at it and being like, an alligator man? How is this possible? So they showed this. It was a picture of a creature with a human torso and head and then an alligator body. And the, the front legs of the alligator are like human arms and then the hind legs are alligator legs. So it's like a centaur, but with alligator man instead of horse man. Oh, <laughs> okay. okay. So that's who Jake the Alligator Man is. But the thing is, is like I did I knew nothing about cryptids. And at that point, I honestly thought that if something was printed in a magazine, it legally had to be true. Oh, Rachel. I know. And so, like, this was not fake belief. This was, I believed it. (laughs) (laughs) So then in 97, four years later, I moved from Southern California to the Northwest. And I, and I saw this, the alligator man on like bumper stickers and stuff. And, but Portland is so weird that it didn't really stand out. I was just like, oh, like I vaguely maybe remembered that there was this alligator man in the weekly world news, but they had said he was from Florida. So it wasn't like this instant connection, which would make sense (laughs) that he's from Florida. Yeah. Yeah. They have alligators in Portland, as far as I know, doesn't. I guess I've never seen an alligator in Portland, although I also did not see an alligator when I was in Florida. Okay, fair point. (laughs) So it wasn't until um, actually kind of recently, I was in my mid-30s, when I saw Jake the Alligator Man. Oh, do tell. So he lives, or not lives, because he's dead now, he's preserved in um, a place called Marsh's Free Museum in Long Beach, Washington. The Marsh's Free Museum is like, it's kind of a museum. It's kind of a souvenir shop. It's an arcade. It's a curio. It's got just like lots of things. It's very Northwest. There's like a shrunken head, a two-headed calf, one of those mechanical fortune tellers to, you know, wish for you to be big. 
Um, I was going to say, like, big. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly like big. And then there's Jake. And Jake's in a fish tank-looking thing. And he, what I remember when I, what? Even though he's dead. Yeah, so he's like, he's taxidermied. But they kept him in water? No, 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 an empty fish tank. So now, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was like, that's just mean. <laughs> that, would, that would be mean. No, they're not mean. They take care Already, of Already, I'm seeing a lot of parallels between our two stories, is that mine was also one of my first encounters with cryptids, mm-hmm. even though I didn't actually see a chupacabra, and because they were both taxidermied at some point. Right, right. <laughs> So Jake, when I saw him, I was kind of like, oh, because he's he's smaller than me and I'm a pretty small person. And his torso was, I could probably pick it up. And then even the alligator part of him was small. It was just, he was smaller than I expected. But anyways, I got to see him and it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, it sounds crazy. Um. So what I learned actually through this research here is the Weekly World News story was built on a lie. Shocking. I'm, I know. I'm stunned. Right. So here's what the headline said. In 1993, when they ran this picture of him, the headline was, half alligator, half human found in Florida swamp. And then the story insisted that this creature had been captured alive and that he had actually escaped captivity and then killed a man in Miami and then also gave birth. <laughs> Okay, so the male gave birth. Well, they weren't calling they half they just called this this half alligator half human. So it wasn't uh-huh, that's Jake. <laughs> I just um, pulled up a picture of Jake the alligator man and he's on a pool table drinking a martini. Oh yeah, he's a partier. <laughs> <laughs> but so the Weekly World News didn't say he was a man. They just said half alligator half human. But so what they had run, the story was that this thing, this creature was alive and like all of this stuff. But it turned out that the picture that they had of him was taken directly from a postcard of Marsh's Free Museum. So they either just used the picture of our Jake because they couldn't find a picture of their alligator human or they're full of crap. And then maybe now we can't even believe in Bat Boy. So I don't know. I don't want to take that boy off the table, but Weekly World News, get your shit together. Ugh, I'm appalled. It's appalling. So, but there is – Jake exists in – like like you can go and look at his corpse. And that this is very rare where you can go and look at the corpse of a cryptid. Like you would think that the people of Marsh's Free Museum would know his origins. But according to them, they don't. So here is – it's going to get a little wild. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Good. Um, Junior Marsh is the founder of Marsh's Free Museum. And what we know is that he purchased Jake um, in the stuffed form, so in the taxidermied form already, for $750 in 1967 from a San Francisco antiques dealer. But that antiques dealer gave him no information as to Jake's origin. Apparently, though... And there's probably more, but there were, what I found, three documented eyewitness reports of seeing Jake while he was alive. Okay. So, apparently, while Jake was alive, he was seen regularly in a New Orleans brothel smoking cigars. He, uh, I mean, I don't, I can't imagine anywhere else where he would be. Right. Because Southern, If you're like half alligator, alligator, half man, and you're from the South, like... 
go hit up New Orleans. Uh, number two, <clears throat> he performed drag in San Francisco under the name Minnie the Mermaid. So Jake the Alligator Man danced as Minnie the Mermaid in drag. I was not expecting this whatsoever. I am a huge fan of like RuPaul's Drag Race and drag in general as an art form. So I am I am so on board with Jake the Alligator Man being a drag queen. Yes. Like dressed as it'd be like drag with an H <laughs> dressed as a human girl. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then Minnie the Mermaid, because you know. Um, and then the third eyewitness show said that he was spotted in a sideshow in Texas. Tejas, once again. Te- I know. Texas. See, we have a lot of, like, commonalities here. <laughs> like these stories. synchronicities that we weren't even planning on. And that means something if you don't believe in coincidence, which we don't. Okay. So none of these sightings say when they saw Jake, but – Given that he was dead by 1967, because that's when Junior Marsh purchased him, and the brothels in Louisiana were closed by 1917, I was able to start my research with a loose timeline. This is what I'm doing. I'm sharing the evidence that I found for each sighting, and then at the end, I'll put together my own theory of his like life and timeline before he ended up at Marsh's. Okay. Okay. So the first thing, spotted in New Orleans brothels. Let me tell you about the brothels in New Orleans. The red light district of New Orleans was called Storyville and also Tenderloin. Yes. So perfect. It was a 16-square-block area with the city ordinance that kept the brothels running from 1897 to 1917. And it was a huge tourist desti- destination. Makes so sense. to help visitors out, savvy business owners published blue books, which could be purchased for 25 cents at places like saloons, train stations, or on the streets within the district. So 25 cents is like things like about $3. So still like a totally manageable little pamphlet you could buy. So these books had advertisements for booze, cigars, lawyers, as well as the names of the sex workers and where they worked, and then a description of each madam and her business. Okay. I found this amazing website called the Historic New Orleans Collection, and it has digital archives of the Storyville District, including the blue books. So some, like not all of them, but some of them. So they're scanned in, and you can look and like flip through them, and they're fascinating. It sounds like it. It was really amazing to to kind of see this. What I did was I scoured the documents and the photos of the New Orleans brothels looking for any mention of an alligator man, any photo, anything that could like point to Jake being there. So while I couldn't find any concrete evidence, if I had to guess where he did hang out, it would be at Madam Emma Johnson's brothel. So her write-up in the blue book says... Emma's home of all nations, as it is commonly called, is one place of amusement you can't very well afford to miss while in the Tenderloin District. Everything goes here. Fun is the watchword. And she was also Emma Johnson, the madam in this brothel. She was also famous for what was dubbed sex circuses. And I'll tell you that a cursory search of this term brought up way too much porn for me to sift through and give you any more information than that. It's kind of like a like an adult Cirque du Soleil. 
So I didn't go into much of the of the sex circuses part, but I did find a caricature which was of um, Emma Johnson, this madam, luring men and one woman into her mansion. But she was the body of a woman, and then her lower half was an octopus. And so she was grabbing these people in with her tentacles to, like, pull them into her brothel. It was a negative ad. Honey, I'm sorry I couldn't help it. I was brought in by a tentacle into the brothel. And then while I was there, I just had to strike. (laughs) Just had to. I had to spend some money, too, so I could get out. It's really not my fault. (laughs) (laughs) So, but that, the, it could be homage, you know, to Jake, because a half human, a half water creature, you know, so, and then this is a place where if it was anything goes, sex circuses, could imagine Jake the Alligator Man hanging out here. That's interesting. I mean, too many coincidences. Too many. The next spotting was that apparently he did drag in San Francisco. So, the brothels in New Orleans closed in 1917 as the United States entered World War I. They closed because there was this push for morality. It was this idea that soldiers had to be in peak condition both physically and morally. And this attitude also influenced the passage of prohibition, which, um, as you know, and most of our listeners probably do too, was that time period where no one could drink alcohol. I mean, you couldn't. In the United States. In the United States. You couldn't manufacture or sell it. And so prohibition had been a topic of debate since the ending of the Civil War, but like at this time, in like 1917 time, is when the opponents of it were just like, okay, I give up. Let's just, we're going to go do our fight. You guys take care of this stuff. So everyone knows how prohibition panned out. Bootlegging of liquor and organized crime flourished. And then people basically had as much fun. They just did it underground, figuratively and literally. So what I didn't know about this is that this actually, particularly in San Francisco, it made drag flourish. Because there was something about being secretive and then breaking taboos like as a community that it laid the foundation for, and I didn't coin this term, this is what it was called, the pansy craze. And the pansy craze is when gay performers and gay clubs became super popular. So this is like in the within the prohibition era. So the San Francisco anything goes mindset would have been the perfect environment for a half man, half alligator to put on a wig and dance to Charleston. Hang on. I okay. have to imagine tiny little alligator legs <laughs> like dancing around and having the uh-huh. tail like doing the char because they're like legs and people's legs move so weird when they they're doing the Charleston. <laughs> tiny little alligator feet. Okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. Keep that Feel better. I mean, I'm sure he was beautiful. Oh, yeah. So apparently he did this. And he did this under the name Minnie the Mermaid. So I had to look this up. And there is a song called Minnie the Mermaid by a guy named Phil Harris, who is an American songwriter and voice actor. You might know him. Well, you probably don't. I know him as the voice of Baloo in the Jungle Book. Oh, I know that. Okay, good. Yeah. And he was also in Robin Hood. Yes. Phil Harris. 
Um, his song, he has a song called Minnie the Mermaid. So I wondered if there was any connection between his song, Minnie the Mermaid, and then Jake the Alligator Man, drag queen Minnie the Mermaid. And so here's, I found out some interesting tidbits. Phil Harris, the voice of Baloo, he grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, the South, and his parents were circus performers. Oh, no. Yeah. And guess where Mr. Harris moved to begin a career in the 1920s? Where? San Francisco. Ah! <laughs> yeah. So it's possible that Jake the Alligator knew Phil's parents through the circus scene and then traveled with him to San Francisco. So so, so Jake followed... Phil Harris. Phil Harris. I wanted to call mm-hmm. him Phyllis, and I was like, that is not correct. Very close, <laughs> So Jake followed Phyllis... <laughs> I did it again. So Jay followed Phil Harris. Phil Harris. <laughs> Phil Harris to San Francisco and not like any other way around. I mean, that's my theory. Okay. These are just like the connections that I found from what – from the eyewitness reports of where they've seen Jake. Okay. Okay. So the other thing that was said was that he was seen at a Texas sideshow. Apparently, his act was to answer questions with a simple nod or shake of his head, which is unimpressive. I mean, I can do that. For an alligator man, like, whip your tail. (laughs) Paint something with your tail. Do the Charleston with your little alligator feet. Maybe he's tired. Okay, so the connection that I found between him and, like, Texas is, of course, mostly speculation. My speculation, but here we go. There's another famous alligator man from Elmendorf, Texas, which is just outside of San Antonio. Real quick, uh-huh. Elmendorf is one of the places where the chupacabra was spotted in Texas. Shut up! I'm not even kidding. That was one of the places. It wasn't where where uh, I was talking about. This was from um, uh, another man that was that was talking about how he shot a chupacabra in Elmendorf. Oh my! It's everything's connected. I'm. My mind is blown. As soon as you said that, I was like, no, you did not. Wow. Okay. So, so then this, oh, but that would have been in the 90s or in yeah, the this, this was different. This, I mean, they did not actually cross paths. Unless there's like a helmet. He was dead by the 70s. You don't know. Um, What'd you say? Nothing. You don't know what the hellmouth is. We've already established that, but our listeners might. <laughs> but, anyways, there might be one in Elmendorf, Texas. So Elmendorf is just outside of San Antonio, and the the other famous alligator man is his real name is Joe Ball, um, but he's not famous for being half man half alligator. Um, he's famous for being a murderer and a suspected serial killer who fed his victims to his alligators. Oh no! Okay, so to, to totally no 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 not as cute. Two totally different reasons for the nickname alligator man. Because there's nothing that suggests that Jake was ever violent. But let me tell you still about why there still could be a connection there. So let me tell you about Joe Ball. Um, he was a bootlegger in during Prohibition and then after that a tavern owner. And he was the son of the wealthiest person in Elmendorf. Um, after Prohibition ended, he built a pond behind his tavern and kept eleva- ele- elevators. He kept elevators in his pond. Weird, huh? That is strange. I wouldn't put my elevators in a pond. <laughs> Me neither. Oh, it wasn't elevators. It was alligators. Oh. 
<laughs> so he kept alligators in the pond behind his tavern. There were discrepancies in the reported number of alligators he kept. Some say that there were five alligators, and when this all came and went, and when he was like put away, they took five alligators from his pond. But other people say there were six alligators. And so I'm curious if maybe Jake the Alligator Man was that sixth alligator. That would make sense. It would. So, okay. So in 1937, um, Joe Ball, Alligator Man, the bad guy, his first victim disappeared. Okay. And her name was Minnie. Oh, do you but remember, this was after. Do you remember Jake the Alligator Man's drag name? Minnie the Mermaid. Yeah. Okay. So – but this was this after? This is after. He was in track? Yeah. Okay. So listen. Oh, no. Her name was Minnie, but she went by Big Minnie. And so my question is, why would someone have to go by Big Minnie unless there was another smaller, maybe reptilian Minnie at the same bar? <laughs> so <laughs> I because, mean, like you don't differentiate. Like, like if I were Big Rachel, you would assume that there was another Rachel out there. Well, I mean – there's a perfect example of my family. My father's name was Mark, and my brother's name is Mark. And so, growing up, there was Big Mark Big and Mark Little, Little Mark. Mark. Mm-hmm. So, whenever people would say, oh, is that Little Mark? Then, obviously, there has to be a Big Mark. <laughs> exactly. So, none of the things that I found, they, they acknowledge that this the victim's name, Minnie, she went by Big Minnie, but nobody said why. So, okay, probably because they don't want to mention the the small alligator and drag mini. Exactly. And I mean, if you were a human-sized female, you'd probably be bigger than that little alligator man. I mean, I'm bigger than Jake. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's it's nothing against you, big mini. It's not anything for your size. Mm-mm. It's not a knock. It's just that you are bigger than little mini the mermaid. Exactly. So there's evidence to suggest now that Jake spent time in Texas. This is the evidence I presented to you. Mm-hmm. I'm on board. <laughs> Thank you. But why would he go back to the South? If I, And I haven't given you my timeline yet, but roughly you could say it's like New Orleans and then to San Francisco and then all of a sudden he's back in Texas. So that was a question. Well, okay, so say I could connect him here. Why would he even come back to the South? Well, the San Francisco drag scene had started to wane at the end of Prohibition. So once drinking and partying became above ground and and came back to being like the accepted norm, people's weird sense of propriety returned and then the so-called pansy craze died down, which is fascinating. Like honestly, this period – like I never even – looked at the history of prohibition through a queer lens until like looking at this. And I was like, that is, that's crazy to think like societal norms and stuff can affect something like that. And like, I don't know, it was, it was fascinating. So I, well, I mean, yeah, no. And that, that really is fascinating because especially like growing up, you're kind of taught that like gay people didn't exist until maybe like the 90s or or like the 80s or something with AIDS fear and all of that like it's it's one of those things where everything else just was hush hush wasn't talked about and then when you find out that like the drag scene has been going on 
for decades and decades before you even thought about it. Like, I mean, it's, it's hard mm-hmm. to, to look at things through a queer lens like that because you have to be reacclimated to mm-hmm. that. Right. Yeah. And you have to like look at history from a point of view other than like in my case, other than my own. And then also other than what we've always been looking through it as, you know, like, mm-hmm. but I had never considered how the pro how prohibition might have um, affected that part of our society. And then, and then I was surprised to hear like how after prohibition ended, then this fascination with gay culture kind of died down and it went back away. Like, God, people are just jerks. Everyone came home from war. Right. And they were all like machismo and like. Yeah, I got to get back to. (laughs) Toxic masculinity. So this in San Francisco, it has started to wane. But oddly enough, in San Antonio, it had actually become a nationally renowned drag scene. And famous performers came from all over the country. I didn't know these names, but um, Harvey Lee, Francis Blair, and Francis Lee. Um, were a a couple of them. And the last man, Francis Lee, he danced under the name Minnie Myers. Another Minnie. So this could just be coincidence. A lot of Minnies. minnies. There there are many Minnies. Many Minnies. (laughs) So many Minnies. But here's like one way to like to maybe consider. Could it be that Jake had seen and admired Minnie Myers, the um this Francis Lee? And then named his own drag persona after her and then came to find her as Prohibition ended. Um, or it could be that they're in the same drag family. So I know today drag families, they share the same last names, but it could have been different back then. And they could be like House of Many, you know? Yeah. Um, lots of reasons. Even even if this other Mini had nothing to do with it, like you can see why he might have felt drawn back to the South after um, the drag scene was kind of closing down in San Francisco. Sure. Those are the the three sightings, the brothels, the drag, and then the Texas sideshow. Um, So here's how I kind of like pieced it together. Okay, so near as I can tell, Jake's origin is simply that he's the last of his species that was an earlier part of the evolution chain that remained unchanged. As we were crawling out from the from the water and becoming human, he's somewhere in in between there. So, I'm guessing in the late 1800s, he was probably found in the southern swamplands um, and put into a circus as a sideshow performer, because sideshows were big back then, early, late 1800s, early 1900s. And then there he met and worked with Phil Harris's parents. So for the first two decades of the 1900s, while touring with the circus, he would have spent many vacations in New Orleans where he would have admired the women's beauty and fashion and the raucous festivities of the brothels. And I did look into the blue book, and there weren't any women named Minnie at Emma Johnson's brothel, but there were two Minnies who worked in brothels on the same street, so like in the same area. So maybe he saw them and or liked one of them so much that he named his drag persona after one of them and then mm-hmm. added the mermaid because he's, you know, half, half an alligator. Yeah. So then when the government shut down his favorite form of escape, the brothels, in 1917, he started hearing about men performing burlesque shows dressed as women. And then what good luck that a member of his circus family was headed out west. So in 1920, 
Jake joined Phil Harris and ended up in San Francisco, where he enjoyed such a successful career in his underground rag scene that in about 1923 or 1924, uh, Phil's friend, Bud Silva, who is a noted rec- record executive, wrote the song Minnie the Mermaid in Jake's honor. Okay. And then Phil Harris would record that about 10 years later. So Phil Harris didn't write the song Minnie the Mermaid, but it was written about 1923, 1924. So it adds up timeline-wise. It does, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then by 1934, Jake was no longer finding the acceptance or the community that Prohibition had afforded him in San Francisco. But then he heard about the San Antonio drag scene and that it was blossoming. And so he likely would join a circus to travel from San Francisco to Texas. Um, And then this is where he might have been witnessed as a sideshow act. So traveling from there since, I mean, Texas was huge. But by the 1930s, sideshows were also also dwindling. So when he found a cozy pond behind a former bootlegger saloon, he might have made that his home. Yeah. And then whether or not he actually performed in drag in San Antonio is undetermined, but he still could have used his drag persona, and then that would make it necessary to differentiate mini, big mini versus him, you know, mini the, the mermaid. Right. And just because there were no documented sightings of him. Also remember, it could just be that Men were hyper-masculine and afraid to admit that they were at a drag show. You know, it was a time where things were changing for a lot of people and there were some secrets that they wanted to keep. And it was this idea of having a secret was kind of cool. So so I can see why having Jake around, like, it's their alligator man. You know, it's their thing. Mm. So Jake would have lived for three years with the five other alligators in Joe Ball's pond. However, Joe's temper and womanizing would have been very frustrating for Jake, who, given his history, was certainly a feminist. Oh, 100%. So when Big Minnie disappeared, Jake would not want to stick around any longer. And neither would Joe Ball's wife, Dolores Goodwin, to whom Joe Ball had confessed his crime. My theory is that in 1938, Dolores and Jake decided to leave together because Dolores for sure did. Like, she's documented leaving, and Jake would not have been down with Joe Bell's murdering of women. And plus, he wouldn't want to eat people like the other alligators. No. He just he just couldn't relate. No, he yeah, he didn't quite fit in there. Like, I'm sure there's, you know, his back half fit in pretty well, but... Yeah. 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 <laughs> So then they returned to California where Dolores had family. When Dolores disappeared, she kind of added to this mystery of Joe Ball because she was one of the women he was romantically involved with who disappeared. But then she was later found to be living in Southern California. By 1940, the trail of Jake the Alligator Man runs cold. So I'm guessing he ended up... Back in San Francisco, because, you know, he had such a great time there. Maybe he had friends and family there. And then probably died maybe mid-40s or in the 50s, long enough where his remains were able to be purchased in 1967, having been fully preserved. That only takes about uh, two months to do so. I mean, it could he could have passed away in 1967. Today in Washington, where he resides, there's a yearly celebration in his honor And the party features burlesque dancers, which I figure are a nod to his life as a performer. 
Um, it also features vintage cars, which is probably to acknowledge his life of travel. But they're not tiny cars like the Shriners. Vintage cars. <laughs> Maybe, who knows, some of them might be Shriners. So that is my guess of Jake the Alligator Man and how he might have ended up in Long Beach, Washington. Wow. <laughs> that was quite a story that I think more people should know about. I think so, too. So you can go see Jake. He's available for viewing. Normally, they have a celebration every year, and it's supposed to be a lot of fun. Do you know what, what time of year it takes place? Early summer. Oh, that sounds like fun. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not going to rain on any parades here, but uh, <laughs> you know, with my communication background, we talked a whole lot about P.T. Burnham. Essentially, he was like the greatest con man on Earth. So, you know, they got the greatest showman, that movie. I was so annoyed when it came out because it's like, they're making him the good guy. I know they're going to do that. And he was not a good guy. He was a liar. He's a cheat. Like, he's just, you know, he was not a great person. But they talk about him in PR all the time because, you know, it's it's mostly like a what not to do. And like, this is how it started. And this is why PR has such a bad rep. He talked about, um, he had an exhibit and it was about like this, this mermaid that they mm-hmm. found. This mermaid was a monkey torso and, um, from the bottom of the torso down was actually a fish. Um, but it looked like they had discovered the remains of a mermaid, but they just attached two <laughs> A monkey to a fish. Yes. And we're like, there you go. It's a mermaid. <laughs> so um, I'm trying to think of like the exact timeline of P.T. Barnum because I feel like P.T. Barnum was... Um, circuses and stuff were waning in the mid-30s, but P.T. Barnum... He died in 1881. Okay. Oh, so he died. So he would have been mid-1800s. Yeah, I was going to say, so he was, he was dead before... I mean, that's not to say that he was inspired by... Maybe Jake's lineage or Jake himself, depending on how old he could have been. Oh, my gosh. And because he was part of a circus and everything. Right. That's a good point. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) That's why I'm here. Thank you. From the beginning, I was thinking of it. And I was like, don't don't talk about P.T. Barnum yet. You're going to throw everything off. So he died in 1893. So 1891. 1891. So Jake could have been in the circus. That is where I put him. I was going to say, you did say early ni- or 1800s, or late 1800s, I'm sorry. Late 1800s, Early yeah. 1900s was the correct term. Late 1800s was also correct. Yes. <laughs> because yeah. the brothels were open from 1897. So he was already old enough to be hanging out smoking in brothels, mm-hmm. you know, around that time. And so. I mean, we don't really know the life expectancy of alligator people. No, we don't. So, I mean, who knows how long he was around before then. And maybe he even had a fake ID because he was... I don't think they even parted back then. I mean, I really don't think he would have been <laughs> issued any kind of government ID. So he could have just been like, look at the bottom half of me. I'm fine. Right, exactly. You're not going to get a fine. It's it's okay. <laughs> have claws, man. Rawr. Have a tail. Yeah. I can answer your questions with nods. <laughs> like that's something to brag about, Jake. It's easy. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I know. Yeah. Oh, see, she's doing it right now. <laughs> the thing, okay, so I did. I have seen him. And if you don't want to believe that he, you know, is from like the middle of our evolution chain, 
than what people say he is, is taxidermied. But are you allowed to have like a stuffed human? Like, I don't. What confounds me about this is I don't know how the truth would work and I don't know how the lie would work either. Very true. I mean, having human remains is illegal. You know, you could take home ashes mm-hmm. or something, but... Right. And like I said, he's a smaller upper person. He is about my size, which is not the size of a typical man. Um, I'm more the size of a typical boy. <laughs> I'm, I'm boy, boy size. size. <laughs> so if, he, if he's not an actual link evolutionary-wise and he's taxidermied, did somebody... So a child to an alligator? Like, I don't know. Or a monkey. It does not look like a monkey, though. Right. It did it, it looked a little strange when I when I looked at the picture. I mean it's it's hard to explain for sure. Cause mm-hmm. it just looks weird. And uh-huh. it doesn't really look like anything that we've seen before, which is kind of our thing that mm-hmm. we discussed. Right. <laughs> but uh no, like you said, it's like it should raise more red flags if that's actual Sewn human to DNA. Yeah. Or not just not just human DNA, but like an actual human torso <laughs> that maybe somebody found like washed up on the beach or something and they were like, Oh my god, I also have half an alligator. <laughs> you know what we should do? <laughs> Uh, put it together. Sew them up. Oh my gosh, we should look at what murders were happening in the 60s in San Francisco. Lots. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, all of them. <laughs> I mean, there was the original Night Stalker. There was the Easter. Was that in the 60s? Uh, around that 60s to like 70s, sometimes 80s. I mean, like, because there were a lot of things that like may have been attributed to certain people and right, like right, right, East right. Area Rapist, um, uh, Zodiac and all that stuff. Truthfully, I would feel like if we were trying to attribute this to the Zodiac, it'd be a little bit more flimsy because um, he was never really known for for keeping body parts as trophies. So wait, flimsier <laughs> than a half man, half alligator smoking cigars in a New Orleans brothel? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm just saying. <laughs> I would more more so believe that somebody who even at least appeared to have like weird legs, some kind of weird skin condition mm-hmm. was a, a patron of brothels or even a, a somebody that was some uh, weird evolutionary mishap and was, was in a brothel. I would believe that more than I would believe that the Zodiac Killer ended up starting by creating the Alligator Man. Man. I mean, maybe the Zodiac Killer was part of it or maybe, you know, B.T. Barnum had some influence that we don't know. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but... But what we do know is that this is all 100% real and 100% fake believe. El Chupacabra sucks because he has to in order to survive. You know who doesn't have to suck? You. That's right. It's time to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Don't be like El Chupacabra. Don't suck. Don't suck.